When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Your dreams should be real. Now you just have to go out and make the sacrifice, pay the price of admission for them to be. This is the Entrepreneur Way with Neil Ball. Unlocking the secrets of successful entrepreneurs seven days a week. Subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter at Neil D. Ball. Napoleon Hill said the power of the mastermind is the driving force. To discover how you can unlock the potential in your business using the power of a mastermind, go to mastermindunlimited.com. And now, here is your host, Neil Ball. Hello, it's Neil Ball here. Thank you so much for joining me today on The Entrepreneur Way. The Entrepreneur Way is about the entrepreneur's journey. The vision, the mindset, the commitment, the sacrifice, failures and successes. I am so excited to bring you our special guest today, Jerome Myers. But before he introduces you to Jerome, I have a quote for you by Sam Levinson. Don't watch the clock. Do what it does. Keep going. The Entrepreneur Way asks the questions so we all get the insights, inspiration and ideas to apply in our businesses. Jerome, welcome to the show. Are you ready to share your version of The Entrepreneur Way with us? Absolutely, Neil. Thanks for having me, man. Jerome, you are very welcome. And I'm really excited to figure out what you think it takes to be a successful entrepreneur. So thank you very much for coming on the show today. Grateful to be here. Jerome Myers left corporate America because he realized that although he had many accomplishments, he had not gained significance because he was not leading a centered life. Now, as a leadership coach, He uses his personal journey and unique training method to guide other apex performers in leadership positions to face their toughest personal and professional challenges head on. Jerome, can you provide us with some more insight into your business and personal life to allow us to get to know more about who you are and what you do. Yeah, um, I'm the kid who wanted to be a garbage man when I grew up. I was uh, playing in the front yard with my mom when I was five. 
And around came the corner, the big blue garbage truck with Lonnie hanging off the back as he did every Thursday morning. Uh-huh. And you know, I would get more and more excited each time he would get to the house preceding ours. So we were third house on the right on our street. And he would always greet me with a smile as he hopped off the truck, um, flipped the top off the trash can and let it spin around like a top fall flat. Mm-hmm. Do like a little spin pirouette, dump the trash in the back. And then he'd look at me, give me the wink and the fake gun with his finger. And I would go crazy in my latest rendition of Baby Shark. I know you're across the pond. I don't know if you guys know what that phenomenon is over there. But, you know, I, I'm just basically telling him to crush the trash. Mm-hmm. And he pulls the lever, he crushes the trash. And I look at my mom and I tell her, I want to be a trash man when I grow up. And she looks at me as only a mother could do. And she said, baby, that's not going to afford you the lifestyle that you want to live. Mm-hmm. And I said, but Lonnie gets to be at home with his kids when they get out of school. And daddy doesn't come home until five or six sometimes. And so we have to wait for him to eat dinner. And I would rather be able to hang out with my kids. Mm-hmm. And she was like, but don't you like Nikes and nice clothes? And don't you like nice cars and a nice place to live? And, you know, we went through that scenario. And what I found out was, you know, what kids want most and what I think adults want most, but we put to the side because we did decide that it's not realistic is a balance of time and money or the lifestyle that the money can buy us. And so what my mom told me was that I needed a career or a profession that was going to allow me to afford the lifestyle that I wanted to live. And that kind of stole my innocence, right? Because mm-hmm. it was my belief that you could just do what made you happy and the money would take care of itself. Fast forward after going to engineering school and building a $20 million division for a Fortune 550, I realized that the money wasn't the answer for everything. I chased money. I made a lot of money, but I still wasn't fulfilled. And after having to lay people off two years in a row, I decided that I was going to leave corporate America and pursue this entrepreneurial path that I knew that I should have taken a long time ago. And so I came out and started pursuing real estate full time, buying apartment buildings and renting those out to others and started what is become a pretty large education and coaching business that allows us to help people go down the same path of finding fulfillment in the work that they do or leaving the work that they do behind so that they can create a reality that is in alignment with the dreams that they had as kids. Mm-hmm. Wow. What an interesting story. So when you, when you decided to be, I mean, you went from wanting to be a garbage man to being a engineer. Was the reason for you wanting to be an engineer because of the money or were you passionate about that? Yeah. So until about 11th grade, the only engineer that I knew about was the guy that drove the train. Right. (laughs) And so I was fortunate enough to be in a technology academy at my high school and we had a job shadowing assignment. Mm -hmm. So I was sent down to the traffic engineering division of the city that we lived in. And I found out what a civil engineer was. And As I was doing the career search, I asked my physics teacher, I said, Mr. Ayers, you know, I I think I want to solve problems for a living and I don't know if I want to solve problems with people 
as a psychologist or an engineer with math and science. And he said, well, Jerome, I think you'd be good at both, but an engineer probably makes twice as much as a psychologist. Mm -hmm. And so fast forward or rewind to me and my mom in the front yard and her telling me that I had to pick a career that would pay well so that I could live the lifestyle I wanted to live. I chose to go down the engineering path. It was sophomore year in engineering school. Me and my buddy Duran are sitting on the stoop of our apartment building and we started doing a little bit of math, Neil. And, you know, I was paying three ninety five. I had two roommates paying three ninety five. He was doing the same thing downstairs. And when we multiplied all of that out across the complex, he was making seven hundred thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. But we never saw the guy and we never talked to him. And for us, we just thought that was amazing. And we didn't need seven hundred thousand dollars a year. Maybe we could just get seventy thousand dollars a year. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the problem was my dad was a soldier and my mom stayed at home. We didn't have people with multi-million dollar real estate portfolios coming over to our house for dinner or hanging out for the barbecue on the weekend. Right. So I didn't know anybody who was doing it. I didn't have immediate access to people who were doing it. And so I continued down what is called the American dream and got good grades, graduated from a great school, got a good job and started down the path of a white picket fence, a house and 2.5 kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think your story sort of highlights why many people probably end up in careers where they're perhaps not doing what they're passionate about or what they love doing. Because if you think about it, when you're a kid, how are you supposed to know how you're going to want to spend the rest of your life? Half the time as a kid, you don't even know what you want to do that day. And yet there you are picking a, a career based on a very little amount, small amount of information. And at some point you've figured out that actually it's not for you. I mean, I've had it with my kids. I sent them to, they went off to university and I've discovered with university that sometimes it can be useful, but sometimes the thing you really learn is what you don't want to do. (laughs) You don't want to do the course that you've gone and done at university and you come out and go and do something completely different. And I think that is a, a huge challenge for the education system in many ways, because it should find there should be a better way for kids to be able to figure out what they're actually going to want, how they can learn about what they want to do in the future so they can find something that will make them happy rather than just making a decision based on something they may have heard a bit about. One thousand percent, Neil. And, you know, after making, you know, these 30 percent profit margins year after year for a company and, Realizing that at the end of the year, we were still going to lay people off regardless of how much money we made. I realized that I was doing something I didn't want to do. And I was telling myself that they made me do it. But the reality is I had the choice to say, no, I wasn't going to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. And once my morals and values got out of alignment with my actual actions, I decided that I should do something else. And so that's when I started seeking and pursuing fulfillment because I believe that you know, that is really the only true success. It doesn't matter how big the house is or how fast the car is or any of that other stuff that we seek as material signifiers of success. What matters is our impact and Mm -hmm. making the world a better place. And, you know, those who solve big enough problems get compensated very handsomely for it. Yeah. So you left your job and you then started buying real estate? Were you buying it and buying and selling it or were you buying it and renting it? Buying and rent. Well, so the 
initial plan was to buy and rent. Yeah. The banks told me no. I went to 10 of them. They all told me the same thing. I didn't have the right experience, so they weren't going to lend to me. Mm. So I bought, rehabbed, and then sold property for a while until I could find a partner who had the appropriate experience for me to buy and rent. Okay. So how did you fund the the properties when you first started if the banks wouldn't help you for buy to rent when you did the buy yeah, to did be, very, buy and rehab? Yeah, I did very well in my corporate career. So yeah. I had cash and I uh-huh. had access to credit lines and so on and so forth. Yeah. So did you eventually get to the point where you could buy and rent? Yes. So, you know, I was sitting on the stoop of one of my biggest rehab projects. It was about $90,000 and a guy pulled up in this white Dodge Ram pickup and he hops out and he says, hey, man, I want to check out what you've done in this house because we're getting ready to start a project down the street. So he walks through the house. He's like, oh, you took the wall out and the sink with the gooseneck faucet on the island with the amazing granite is just outstanding. We go through the bathroom. He likes the tile. He likes what we did with the shower and the tub. He's getting ready to walk out. He says, hey, man, do you know anything about that building behind the Chimbo Mart? I said, the Chimbo Mart? Mm-hmm. That 23-unit apartment building? He said, yeah. I said, yeah, I tried to buy that four or five months ago, man. He said, well, we're getting ready to make an offer. And I was like, oh, my goodness, you're the guy I've been looking for. Right. You, you you have to have experience if you're going to go buy that. Mm-hmm. It's like you already own apartments. Right. He said, yeah, I do. I said, man, look, man, please don't leave me out the deal. I tried to do that a while ago and I, I couldn't do it because I didn't have the right experience. They told me I need a partner. And it looks like you're the person that I need a partner with. And he said, so what are you going to bring to the table? I, said, I, I, I don't worry about that. Like, just don't leave me out of the deal. Mm-hmm. And he asked me again, what are you going to bring to the deal? I said, man, look, we'll figure it out. Just don't leave me out. I've been looking for you for like five or six months. He asked me one more time. He said, what are you you going to bring to the table? man?" I said, I promise you we'll figure it out. Just don't leave me out of the deal. And he walks out after shaking his head a little bit. And I just knew, you know, this was on a Wednesday. I just knew by Friday I'd get a phone call saying, hey, we're under contract. But Friday came and went, no phone call. Monday, nothing. Mm-hmm. The next Friday, still no phone call. I get to the next week. It's a Tuesday. A guy I used to lend money to when I was in corporate said, hey, I just got asked to be the general contractor on this project. I, It's the one that you and I talked about five months ago. And I said, man, I talked to that guy about it. He's like, yeah, I told him that I wasn't willing to do it unless you were involved in it. And so that was my opportunity to partner with those two fellas. And then two more came into the deal and we did that first deal. We bought it for a little under 1.3 million and went in and executed our business plan. And, you know, it ended up being pretty cool because we had a press release and that's when the bank started calling to talk to me about what we were doing and how we were doing it. And if there was a way that they could help me um, further my business, mm-hmm. they wanted to know what else I had going on so on and so forth. So how did you figure out what you were bringing to the deal? So I, I had plenty to bring to the deal. I had mm-hmm. a background in the construction. I had my contractor's license. I had an engineering degree. I had a project management certification. And all of those things were necessary and relevant for the type of business plan that we were executing for this particular deal. I just didn't know how to articulate it. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things that I like helping people 
with is figuring out how to share with others the things that they're uniquely qualified to do. Because I think we're all put on this earth to do something very special. And it's usually the culmination of all of our experiences that get us prepared for that next thing that we're getting ready to do. And while we may need to add something here or there, in general, we are very well equipped in order to handle the situation that's in front of us. So that is what I brought. All Mm -hmm. of those things that I just listed, plus some cash. Yeah. So you do that and you're also now a leadership coach as well. Who do you coach? Yeah, most often it's folks that have some type of sales function and those who are in corporate and looking to make an exit. Right. I, I call it exiting the matrix. They're looking for the opportunity to leave behind the thing that they were chasing because it paid very well, but doesn't offer them very much fulfillment. And when you start working with somebody like that, what is the process that you go through to get them from where they are to where they want to be? Yeah, I think the first thing is for establishing clarity, mm-hmm. getting very certain about the thing that they're trying to accomplish. And it's not so much the mechanism as it is the essence, right? So here is what I want to feel and here's how I want to feel every day. And then we reverse engineer how we get to that from where we started. So, you know, a grand example of that is I had a buddy of mine who was working for an elevator company and he used to be an infantry officer. He got hurt. But his two friends who went into service before him were killed in action. Mm -hmm. He felt like he was wasting his life dealing with people who were complaining about their elevators not working as they would like for them to work. So he quit his job and he's created a nonprofit called House of Man and a for-profit entity called Guards Down that's raising awareness about PTSD and complex grief, which are both issues that he suffered from, from the way that he was hurt while he was in combat to the loss of people that he cared a ton about. And so right now, this young man is walking from, and I know you're across the pond, but he's walking from Mississippi, which is in the very southernmost part of the United States, to New York. Mm -hmm. It's a 1,700-mile walk, and he's getting media coverage from all over the country and drawing attention to the fact that PTSD and complicated grief is causing so many veterans to commit suicide because they just don't know how or what to do with the trauma that they experience while they're protecting and defending our country. Mm-hmm. And so that's a great example. So we put the plan together, we helped him come up with a fundraising strategy. He went through and just created this whole entity so that he could go off and raise this awareness in a way that's never been done and give a name and a face to the people who are kind of suffering quietly and under the radar because they've been taught that there's a stigma around not being mentally well. Mm-hmm. And how long does it, how long will he expect to take to walk 1700 miles? He started at the end of April. No, he started May, he started May, right around May 15th. Yeah. And he's going to be in New York in September, like mid-September. So wow. you know, four months or so. 
that's quite a journey, isn't it? When you walk it. <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely terrifying. And, but you know, he's, he's making stops along the way. They're having rallies. They're yeah. having conversations that, you know, it's in a way that it hasn't ever happened before. Mm-hmm. What do you enjoy most about what you do? Seeing the dream become a reality. Mm-hmm. I'm a believer that dreams should be real now. Mm-hmm. And if we don't hear that very, we, we don't hear that very frequently as adults. And so for anybody who's listening to this thing, they now have the curse of knowing that their dreams can and should be real. And it's up to them to do something about it at this point, right? They can't just shrug their shoulders and say, oh, yeah, I need to be realistic, right? Being realistic is the fastest way to be mediocre. And so helping people manifest their dreams, turn their dreams into a reality is the thing that gives me life. What drives you to do what you do? I think it's just watching so many people suffer, man. I, I hate suffering, And I try to cover it with compassion. I try to make sure that people are enjoying and maximizing the breath. So in high school, I used to lead the football team out with my buddy Hambone. We were the co-captains. And um, in December of 2012, I get a phone call and I go something like this. He's dead. I'm like, what do you mean? Who? Like Hambone, he he died. Like how? How is that possible? Like I don't know, but the funeral is this day, and so I get to the funeral three hours early after driving three hours to get there, and I'm sitting in the parking lot of the church, and I ask myself, like, am I here for me or am I here for him? And what I realized was I was here for me, right? Like I hadn't talked to him since the last day of high school, even though we spent just about every day together while we were in high school. Mm -hmm. And the reality of the situation was that if our relationship was that close, that tight, then we would have talked a whole lot more when we went our separate ways after graduating. But what I realized was this was one of the best human beings that I knew on the face of the planet, pound for pound. Mm -hmm. And his life was cut short in his early 30s. So for me... I needed to do something with the time that I still had here. And I don't think people realize how much of a gift that they actually have by being alive. And so it's, it's my goal to help people maximize the time that they have because they never know when they will expire. How do you relax when you're not working in your business? Yeah, meditation is the first and then running is probably the second. Mm-hmm. How far do you run? I try to run about six miles, five to six times a week. Do you really? Wow. Oh, yeah. I had to get it in this morning so yeah. I could come serve your audience. <laughs> I, I, I've done my six miles today as well, but I don't do five or six a week. I do about three, maybe four. So a bit, a bit less than you. You probably do it a lot faster than me, though. <laughs> Mine's <laughs> more of a trot. <laughs> Maybe we could run together by the sounds of it. <laughs> do you have any entrepreneurial role models? You know, I, I really like Tony Robbins, man. Yeah. I, I just, I just adore what he's done and how he's done it, and the fact that you know he just comes in and he serves so many people 
from so many different backgrounds in so many different places. And so, I mean, that just excites me to know and the opportunity to have that type of impact on the world. Folks, we've learned about Jerome's business and personal life. Now what we're going to do is go back in time and talk about the time before he was an entrepreneur. Jerome, what difficulties did you have to overcome when you started your business? Oh man, I had no revenue, Mm -hmm. right? I didn't come out to a soft landing where I built this thing on the side and it was performing well and I just need to ramp it up. Everything that I thought I was going to do when I walked out didn't work. I thought I was going to buy an apartment that didn't work. I thought maybe I could consult back as a leadership coach or trainer to some of the folks who I was working with when I was in corporate America. Nobody was interested in offering me a contract or hiring me. I thought, well, maybe I could do something else here or there. And just none of those things panned out. And so, you know, everybody really just saying no and closing doors was kind of a shock and awe for me. And realizing that I hadn't proved out the concept that I was going to actually embark on prior to severing my income was, you know, (laughs) almost traumatizing. Mm Would you do? Would you do it the same way now? You know what it's like, and you've gone through that journey. You know, probably would. Yeah. Honestly, you know, I had some cash in the bank, so I had some runway. Mm-hmm. I probably would have saved more, and I probably would have been more aggressive in the spin up of education. For instance, I should have known that the bank wasn't going to lend to me because I didn't have experience, but I didn't spend the time getting educated. So the thing that I would tweak is I would have been more knowledgeable before I made my decision. I think that there can be knowledge can be a gift and a curse. Mm -hmm. And I didn't spend the time necessary actually researching what I was going to do so that I had a high likelihood of being successful. But you found a way in any case. That's the good thing, isn't it? So I think, as you say, knowledge can be a, a curse as well as a gift because ultimately for some people, if you then find out how difficult it was going to be maybe to re- borrow that money, that might, may have had a diff- made a difference on your decision to go and do it. 1,000%. You know, at the end of the day, I just needed to be better networked than I was. Mm-hmm. And I was somebody who always thought, hey, it's what you know, not who. And I found out the hard way. It's very much who. Did you have any doubts that delayed you starting your business? Yeah. And so the big doubt for me was that I did not have, I had the golden handcuffs, mm-hmm. right? I was making really good money. I was fortunate enough to break six figures when I was 26 years old. And so as that income continued to grow, I realized that I was going to have a hard time replacing the income that I was making. Now, in hindsight, I didn't need to replace the income I was making. I just needed to make enough money to cover my expenses. But, you know, most people don't um, actually have that understanding when they're making their way through this maze of exiting the matrix. Mm -hmm. And did you do anything to reduce your expenses when you started out on your own? Oh, yeah. I had a car that I really liked that I got rid of. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
that was step one. And I think step two, I was already living pretty lean, but just really cut out some of the extracurriculars like travel and so on. What mistakes did you make that slowed your journey? I think the biggest one that I made was not get, hiring a coach or uh, going through some type of educational program mm-hmm. by trying to piece everything together because, hey, it's all free. All you got to do is be willing to invest the time to find it and organize it and then figure out what knowledge gaps you have because you didn't get everything from one place. Uh, that was a definite impediment to my progress. And, you know, I would probably have a business that's three or four times the size it is today had I made that investment. Mm-hmm. And how did the coach help you when you did get a coach? So it was really just a function of asking the right questions to make sure that the energy was channeled in the right ways. Mm-hmm. You know, being all over the place doesn't actually um, get you real progress in any one area. And so focusing the effort like you would with the magnifying glass in the sun, you can set a piece of paper on fire if you do it the right way. Um, but just having the sun out there doesn't actually do that. So, you know, making real progress here and then moving to the next thing and just kind of feeding the snake, right? And just working through the body. What are some of the things that you did before you started your business that would be helpful tips to some of the listeners who haven't yet taken the first step on the entrepreneur way? Find somebody who's done it before you and spend time with them learning what they would have done differently. I think oftentimes we think we're super innovative and we've got this special approach that's going to make things totally different from the way that they are today. And if you really dig in, there's somebody who's already done something that you can model that'll speed up the process. Folks, we're now going to jump forward in time and talk to Jerome about the time after he became an entrepreneur. Jerome, do you think culture is important from the beginning in a business? 1000%, right? Mm -hmm. The brand and the culture are the things that will make your business known. And having a poor culture can end your business before it gets started. How do you make sure that you hire the right people so that they fit with the culture in your business? I think it's really testing for fit. One thing that we use to vet people is just understanding what their morals and values are Mm -hmm. and making sure that they're alignment with what we see as our cultural moral and values. And that will eliminate a lot of friction and you know what to expect from people. Um, And then, you know, the backside of that is actually making sure that their actions align with what they stated. Mm -hmm. But if you can, make sure that there's a check for from a conceptual standpoint and then watch people do the things. I think you can see really quickly whether or not you're in alignment there. Mm-hmm. And how do you figure out what people's morals and values are? I think putting them in situational questions and asking how they will respond mm-hmm. is the best that you can do 
when you don't have an extended period of time to observe them in their native environment. Knowing what you know now, is there anything that if you'd known it when you started out that would have helped you to shortcut the learning curve? Making the investment in the network that you need instead of the network that you have is the most valuable thing that you can do with your time. Mm-hmm. And how do you go about doing that? Get into the places that the people are who are doing the thing that you want to do are hanging out, mm-hmm. right? So one of the things that's really important for me is being around people who are multimillionaires because those balance sheets and that type of liquidity is necessary for us to buy new property. Uh, and those are the ideal clients that we have because we can help them get major returns on their investment in themselves by helping them grow their businesses. I spend time at car shows with exotic vehicles because the people that can afford those vehicles are the folks that we want to help and serve the most. Mm -hmm. How much does gut feeling influence your decisions in your business? A lot. I'm very intuitive. And so I trust my gut and what I've learned, I guess, The hard way is that every time that I choose not to trust my gut, I end up getting hit in the face. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And what makes you uncomfortable as an entrepreneur? I think it's for me, it's always the uncertainty, Mm -hmm. right? If we, there's this sense of knowing or this feeling of knowing when you're working for somebody else. It's like, oh, well, the paycheck's going to show up in two weeks or whatever the security piece is. I'll always have work. And as an entrepreneur, you know, at the end of the month or however your business model is set up, you're wondering where the next meal is going to come from. And that can and can be terrifying in the beginning until you start to get some normality and regularity out of it. What do you think are some of the secrets to success? I don't know that there is a secret. I think success leaves clues Mm. and you follow behind and model the people who've done what you want to do. And do you think that is easy to do? I don't know that it's easy to do. I think it is you only get what you're willing to sacrifice for. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people say, Hey, I want this, whatever it is. Let's call it an exotic car because I like cars. Mm -hmm. Right. I want a Lamborghini Aventador. I actually do. And the next question is, what are you willing to give up to get it? Right. If it costs $350,000 or $400,000, are you willing to pay that price or do you want to wait until the values come down some? Okay. I'm willing to pay the 350. All right. How much of your time are you willing to give up to do that? Or what are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing not to retire at a certain age because you're going to put this type of money in that type of vehicle? Like answering the question, what are you willing to do to get it? Let's people know what they really want because there is a sacrifice that comes for everything that we desire. Life is made of constant change, whether we like it or not. And many people say that the only constant in life is change. 
Jerome, how do you try to keep up with change? I just accept that it's coming, Neil, mm-hmm. and I I welcome it. I'm excited for it, and I look for the opportunity in the change because if you look for the opportunity in the change, I think you can create spaces that most people can't see, especially those who are resisting it. What is your favorite book on entrepreneurialism, business, personal development, leadership or motivation? And can you tell us why you have chosen it? Yeah, for me, Sizing People Up was a transformational book for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it talks about the six indicators of trust. And that was it came to me in a place where I was expanding my network rapidly and I needed to quickly understand what I should be looking for in order to decide whether or not to trust people. I'm one of those folks who gives people the benefit of the doubt. And what I was finding is some folks were taking advantage of that. So I decided that I would invest in a book to see if I could get some hacks to help me quickly assess whether or not a person was trustworthy. Folks, when you have a busy life, listening to audiobooks is a great way to expand your knowledge in the time when you may be doing other things, such as driving or when you are at the gym. We have a special offer for you of a free audiobook of your choosing. To choose your free audiobook, go to www.freeaudiobookoffer.com. As long as you've not already signed up, then you will qualify. Jerome, are you ready to speculate about the future? Yes. Oh, good. You didn't seem sure there. What one thing would you do with your business if you knew that you could not fail? (laughs) I would buy all the property that I could. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And people are like, well, of course. Right. But what I found is I see a lot of people taking risk on stuff that I don't believe is actually going to make money for them. Mm -hmm. And it's caused me to pause right now in the marketplace. And so if I knew that there was no way that I wouldn't make money on the deals, then that's what I would do. Um, And it's kind of counter to what we're doing today. So that's why it's meaningful for me. What skill, if you were excellent at it, would help you the most to double your business? Man. I think it's really duplicating myself, right? Mm -hmm. I think I limit the capacity of the business right now because it's more wizard and helpers than it is a system where people are executing against the functions. I'm still in the growing phase Mm -hmm. and still very integral to the operations versus having it systematized and operating without me participating. How can you duplicate yourself? I think it really starts with creating systems so that it's clear of the decisions that should be made with the data that's presented and then teaching someone else what they should be looking for. Mm -hmm. 
any situation. So uh, do you create the systems first or do you take somebody on to do some of the stuff you're already doing? How would you do that? I think you have to document. I don't think you can do them at the same time. I think you document, give it to the person, see what breaks, then iterate off of that versus Mm -hmm. asking them to be a participant in the creation because if they're a participant in the creation, it's like asking them to proofread their own term paper. It just doesn't work that well. Mm -hmm. But if you did that, they could create the documents and you could then correct it as they did it so you didn't have to do it yourself. Right, but there's the curse of knowledge, right? I I can fill in the gaps mm-hmm. because I understand all the things instead of somebody coming in who doesn't understand, have full context. Yeah. We want to write the document for the person that doesn't have context, not for the person who gets it, right? Mm-hmm. In five years from now, if a well-known business publication was publishing an article on your business... After talking to your customers and suppliers, what would you like it to say? My life is more enjoyable and more prosperous because Jerome is a part of it. It's now time for three golden nuggets. Jerome, what is your favorite quote and how have you applied it? Dreams should be real. Mm-hmm. How have I applied it? I've helped hundreds of people create the life that they have dreamed of but didn't think was possible. Okay. So how? what tips would you give to somebody to make a dream real? What do they have to do to do that? I call it, well, David Goggins calls it doing the math. Mm-hmm. I was talking to a guy this morning. He's like, I want my assistant to be full time. I was like, well, how many hours a week is she working? 30. Uh, what's her rate? $21 an hour. Okay. So you're talking about an extra $800 a month. He said, yep. And when we got here, he had no idea how much it was actually cost for him to, to be able to make that transition for her. I said, so based on what you did last month in revenue, can you not afford the extra $800 a month? He's like, no, that would be pretty easy. I said, okay. So now it's not so much a function of whether or not you can make her, because we've done the math to see what's actually possible. Mm -hmm. Now we just got to figure out what she's going to do with additional time in order to pay more, help create more revenue for you or get you a return on that investment. And so I think step one is always doing the math, Mm. right? Whether it's the amount of time you have to allocate, the amount of money you have to allocate, whatever the investment is, figuring out what that is and seeing whether or not you believe that's actually something that's feasible or possible for you to do. And then from there, once you realize that it's actually reachable, then you can create the strategy to go out and execute. Do you have any favorite online resources you can share with us that would be useful for other entrepreneurs? You know, my favorite online resource that I I believe every, every entrepreneur should be using, but I'm finding more often they're not using it. It's going to sound crazy. It's the calendar, man. 
like people don't use their calendar for their downtime Mm -hmm. and they just end up what I'm going to call wasting a big fraction of their life by not being intentional with how they spend the time. Your time is your most precious resource and the way that you allocate it is going to determine what you have in the future. And so, you know, if you take 40 hours a week, which is what most people have in free time, and you have no intention for it, you're just going to lose it. And then a lot of people look up and they question why they don't have what they want. And when you go back and ask them, well, what'd you do over the weekend or what'd you do in the evening? And it just, they have no understanding. It's, it's like a leaky bucket, right? If you, if you don't fill the holes in the bucket and you put water in it, the water's going to run out. Time is the same way. What is your best advice to other entrepreneurs? Your dreams should be real, right? Your dreams should be real. Now you just have to go out and make the sacrifice, pay the price of admission for them to be. Mm-hmm. Folks, if you didn't manage to get a note of Jerome's favourite resource or his favourite book, you can find the links on Jerome's show notes page. Just go to the entrepreneurway.com and search for Jerome or Jerome Myers in the search box. I'm just thinking, actually, Jerome, you said favourite online resource. You said calendar, but is there a specific calendar that you use? Do you use an online calendar or anything? Yeah, I, I use Google Calendar. Ah, um, right, okay. And then what I combine with that, which I think is super powerful and maybe more actionable for folks is Calendy, mm-hmm. right? And so Calendy allows people to come in and schedule their meetings with me so I don't spend time or money paying an assistant to work out when our schedules align. And that has been a lifesaver for me because I can basically say, in this window, people are allowed to schedule this type of meeting and I need this much time on either side of that meeting So before a person can book. That allows me to just show up and participate in the meetings in a way without the distraction of trying to figure out the next thing. And that right there, I think, is really powerful for somebody who's kind of bootstrapping it, trying to figure it out and making the investments in the right places in order to maximize their return on investment. Jerome, is there anything else you would like to add about your business? Yeah, I mean, they can jump over to my Jerome Myers.co. Okay. Jerome Myers.co. And we've got a free four step guide if they want to learn a little bit more about multifamily investing. I think it's a great business model for somebody who wants to build something on the side. And then eventually transition out. You think about being a property owner, you know, it's a subscription model, something that can't be outsourced. And we think it's a great fit for people who want to learn how to create income outside of their day job. Well, thank you for that, Jerome. And Jerome, thank you for coming on the show today and talking about your business and your journey as an entrepreneur and how you've got to this moment on that journey. As we've chatted and you've gone back in time, you shared some of your experiences with us. You've shared some of your thoughts about what it takes to be a successful entrepreneur 
And you've also given us some great tips as well. So thank you very much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome, Jerome. And thank you. Folks, you have been listening to Neil Ball chatting with Jerome Myers on the Entrepreneur Way. If you have enjoyed the show, please share it on social media and subscribe to our email on the Entrepreneur Way website. Also, please add your comments on Jerome's show notes page on the Entrepreneur Way website at www.theentrepreneurway.com and search for Jerome Myers in the search box. Thank you for listening. And until the next episode, goodbye. Thank you for listening to The Entrepreneur Way. Subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter at Neil D. Ball.